Hey everybody, welcome back to Tech & Beer. I'm Calvino, and we're live again today from the Celtic Corner in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. And today we're going to be talking about virtual reality. And I've got to be honest, this is a topic that really, really excites me. Ever since I was a little boy watching Star Trek on TV, uh, watching my favorite characters go into the holodeck and explore these fascinating worlds that they could just spin up, I've been so excited for when this technology would actually become accessible and available to me. And we're going to be talking today to somebody called Devon Horsman, who is the CTO and uh, virtual reality specialist at a company in Halifax called Arcturus, Arcturus Studios. That's right. I got that right. Thanks, Devon. Bailed me out already. <laughs> um, and he's going to tell us how, how he's working on this problem and, and this technology. So welcome to Tech & Beer, Devon. Hey, thanks Cheers. for having me. No um, so beer. Beer, yeah, let's start. <laughs> yeah. Last time I got told we didn't have enough beer involved in the show, so we're going to start off with the beer. Yeah, I've already gotten started. <laughs> yeah, good job. And uh, we're drinking the Nine Locks Dirty Blonde again just because it's a great local beer. Mm -hmm. um, it's nice, it's fruity, it's, uh, and it's a wheat beer we learned today. Yeah, so. that's what I'm all about. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So tell me about yourself, Devin. What, what's your background? How did you get into VR? And uh, yeah. Yeah, so, um, so I was uh, uh, born here in Nova Scotia and um, uh, grew up uh, kind of in... Um, in, in the woods, um, out in Hubley. And uh, from a young age, I was uh, super fascinated with, with video games and technology. Um, I kind of self-taught myself um, uh, web programming as, as sort of a 10 to 15 year old. Um, and was, was uh, really interested in that, uh, made websites for my friends, that sort of thing. Then I went and did a computer science degree. Um, after that, I worked in, um, in a lab at Dalhousie called the Edge Lab, uh, which was um, a human-computer interaction lab that, that um, did things like augmented reality, um, projection surfaces, multi-touch okay. surfaces, and that sort of thing. And this is in the kind of 2000 to 2003 to 2005 uh, kind of pre-smartphone uh, era. Okay. Uh, so we did a lot of work with like Palm, Palm Pilots. And, <laughs> I remember that. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, smart boards, those sorts of okay. things. And and we did some experiments with uh, this, this these kinds of things called pervasive and immersive technologies. So. Um, uh, they would be kind of unique input devices. Um, we had uh, something called motion tape where you could kind of um, move the tape and use that as an input device. Okay. And we'd have that like kind of like lined up the user's arm and we could kind of sense their, their arm positions. And all these sorts of things were kind of the things that added up into what's, uh, what's become... Um, immersive computing now. And okay. immersive computing is augmented reality, virtual reality, and other kinds of mixed reality setups. So uh, from there I went into gaming. I did uh, a few years working at a gaming company and then I started this sort of cooperative of kind of a cooperative think tank sort of thing where uh, we get a bunch of smart people together and we tried to solve interesting problems. Okay. That was called Twisted Oak Studios. Okay. Um, uh, 
I sold that company and uh, started Arcturus um, in 2016 uh, with, with a guy named Andy Stack, a uh, former YouTube and Google guy, and uh, Ewan Johnson, who's a former Pixar and DreamWorks guy. Excellent. Um, those are some, uh, you know, big companies for those your partners to have worked with. Yeah, they're they're amazing, um, and uh, and and working with them has been the best. Awesome. Yeah. Excellent. So, so what are some of the things that um, uh, your, you and your partners are working on now? What what's the kind of mission statement of your company? Right. Uh, so, uh, what we're trying to do is is uh, build build immersive narrative experiences for for um, immersive media. So um, a, a narrative experience is something that's narratively driven. Think of it like a film or a movie or a game, but story-based, focused around the story, uh, characters, plot, that sort of thing. Okay. And um, immersive just means it's uh, in virtual or augmented or mixed reality. Um, and the, the, the user or viewer or player can go into the world and and um, feel like they truly exist within it. Right. So they're um, immersed and they have presence in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to that end, we're working on sort of two different parts of that. One of them is what is the technology that's needed to to build these kinds of experiences right. that are convincing and um, can compete with things like film. And the other one is actually making the experiences themselves. Right. So that's the content side. So technology and content, yeah. we think they both sort of push each other. Yeah. In order to make really good content, you need to make uh, the technology that yeah. drives it. In order to know what technology to make, you need to be making content to explore that space. And that's a little bit like, you know, there's lots of web developers out there. Yeah. Uh, but there's not many companies that actually build the tools that help somebody create a website. So you're, but you're working on both ends of that problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, so we sort of sit, we sort of sit in the in the space that is like imagine to use to use something that other people might be familiar with. In if you're a, a, a photographer, you use a camera and you use Photoshop. Yeah, uh, we're the Photoshop creators, okay. so to speak. Interesting. Yeah. So you must have a, a, a you know, quite really strong team around you, not just your, your partners, but you must have a good core team of uh, varied skills and experiences. Yeah, we've got um, we've got a pretty amazing uh, staff. Um, a lot of people I've worked with for you know uh, five years plus, um, and uh, most of them are based here in Halifax. Yeah, um, which yeah, everyone's been a dream to work with. Awesome. Um, I love coming to work every day. Yeah. So let me get straight to the, the, the money question here. Like, mm -hmm. how, how close are we to the holodeck? Like, is it, like, I want it now. Like, <laughs> well, here's, it's interesting. We're a lot closer than you think. Okay. Um, there's still a few places that, that are a little bit out of reach. Yeah. A little bit uh, science fiction, but sort of the, a lot of the main pieces, the, the pieces that you would have thought wouldn't be possible at this point are. Um, so what are the pieces of the holodeck? What do we need to go from what we know of as consumer VR hardware today to yeah. 
sort of this idea of limitless space and interaction yeah. uh, with realistic humans. Um, so a few pieces. One of them is we need um, 3D live action photography. Yeah. So uh, we need something that looks and feels like video, uh, but is is viewable from all sides. You can walk around it. You can look behind a person. There's a parallax effect when you right. move your head and, and these sorts of things. And we must have solved that problem, I'm guessing. That must be... <laughs> uh, it's not super solved. Oh, okay. we're, we're working on it. I'll <laughs> tell you more about it in a second. The second piece is um, we need haptic feedback. So you need some way of that world um, interacting back with you. So if okay. you put your hand against a virtual wall, you can feel the virtual wall. Okay. Um, and uh, if, if, you know, th those sorts of things. And then the, the, um, the third piece you need is, is limitless space. You need to be able to go beyond the size of your room in the virtual experience you're in. Um, so those are the three pieces. And the, pieces we're, the piece we're working on is the first one, the, the live okay. action photography um, uh, part of things. Right. Yeah. So you can tell me more about that. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you more about that. And now. it's not just yeah. a bunch, lots of guys with cameras. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the way that works is um, there's a few different kind of competing technologies in this space. One of them is called um, free viewpoint video or sometimes holographic video or sometimes volumetric video. And the other one is called um, light field photography or light field video. Um, so uh, volumetric is... They're both shot in sort of similar ways. You've got a huge array of cameras. An array is just like a, a set. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes they'll be in like a dome or a grid configuration. Okay. They'll all be pointed inwards in, in a room. So imagine like 50 to 150 cameras wow. all aimed into the center of a, a sort of like green screen space. It doesn't yeah. need to be green screen, but it often is. And um, all of them are taking video in lockstep. So they all take a frame at the same time. Yeah. And all those frames are stored into some giant rack of, of disk space. Right. And then that's processed to, to recreate a model for every frame of that video. Yeah. Um, and and that's, sort of, that's sort of where most of the companies are today. Um, and you can get sort of a, a mesh sequence, which is just a set of three-dimensional three models of this green screen set and, um, and play those back in sequence. And it uses a lot of resources. So the problem right. we're working on is how do you make that, compress that data so right. that you can, say, deliver it to something like mobile phone hardware right. um, or stream it over the internet. Yeah. And also, how do you make that data more flexible so that you can more easily edit the data or change the performances mm -hmm. after they're captured or, um, you know, touch up blemishes on the actors, um, those sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the suite of tools we're making, it works in that space. Okay. Interesting. So the tools that you make, that you're... 
who would be your customers? Like, who are going to be the people that are like uh, wanting to buy those tools? Yeah, so because they'd be quite big, large tools, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. Right? Not, it's, again, it's not like the photographer that's going to buy his home kit and take it home with him. Yeah, so you can kind of compare the 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 progression of of who our customers will be to sort of other other technologies that have like, uh, happened in the past. Like, if you if you think of the digital. Um, the digital camera or the digital okay. video camera or um, those sorts of things. Like initially, you've got a lot of fairly large industrial uses or studio uses, yeah. and then it slowly moves down to Trickle a more prosumer and then finally consumer yeah. sort of uh, use case. Sense. Initially, we'll be mostly working with sort of major movie studios yeah. um, and some other like uh, major VR content producers. Okay. And then slowly this sort of technology will make its way into the prosumer market. Yeah. Um, and then finally, um, it should be an everyday thing and replace your, right. replace your sort of standard camera setups. Yeah. Okay. So that's problem one. What about problem two? Yeah, problem two. Um, we talked about haptics. Haptics yeah. is kind of the, hard, the most challenging is uh, of, this, of this set. Um, one of the technologies that exists here today is, yeah, I believe it's, um, it's, it's actually, I don't know what, what it's called, but it's, they have an array of, um, of these little, um, I, th I think they're sonic, they're actually called ultrasonics. Okay. And they're, they're like a grid of, uh, these, these little, um, motors or valves that can uh, vibrate and and I don't know if you've ever played with a, a jump rope if you if you take a jump rope it's been a long time and you <laughs> and you give one end to your friend and you you kind of wiggle your end you get this kind of worm like wave that right goes down the end of it um, but if and if you wiggle it once it goes down to the end and it starts coming back at you right well if you if you time that wave at the right timing, then as the wave comes back and as your wave passes it, they both sort of pass in the middle and okay. they create what's called constructive interference and it makes a bigger wave, which is called a standing wave. Okay. As the same thing that happens in a guitar when you pluck a string and, um, and, and there's lots of other places where this comes up. Yeah. Um, but basically you get all of these little valves to to create the constructive interference in the same spot and it creates a small pocket of air pressure yeah. in the air kind of away from the array okay. and uh, you can sort of put your hand over that pocket of pressure and feel it okay. and it can um, and you can use that along with something like a leap motion or another depth sensor to kind of move these kind of virtual objects that are sitting in in the middle okay. of the air so one of the companies doing that i think is called um ultra haptics okay yeah interesting it's uh it's pretty interesting space so i find it interesting that you said that that was the hardest one because i would have thought that you know, problem number three would have been the hardest one with the uh, uh, limitless space right <laughs> yeah limitless space is interesting um uh sometime around 2001 uh, some some researchers came up with this idea uh, they call redirected walking, okay. 
And, and the idea there is, actually, there might be a little video clip we have that I can show. Um, it's called Redirected Walking. Okay. There we go. Um, so yeah, so this, is, this is some research from 2014. And, and what they're doing is, um, this is just a little clip I found on the, on the web before we came. So what's happening here is you have some, you have uh, a, a, real, a real room, which is shown as a kind of red outline okay. where, the, where the person is walking around and the virtual reality setup is, is, is located. And then you have a virtual space. In this case, it's a maze that okay. the user is navigating. And, and one of the kind of perceptive tricks you can use is that as you turn your head in, in your virtual reality headset, you need to see some amount of motion happen that corresponds to your head turn. But if it, if it, um, if it moves a little more or a little less, you don't really notice. Okay. Um, so that's called rotation gain. And there's another, another kind of effect that if, if you're walking forward and somebody kind of turns, uh, turns the virtual space but you don't turn your head, yeah. you'll move your head, you'll turn to correct to for it. Okay. And you won't notice that either within a certain degree of, of range. So what happens is that as you're walking around your, your physical space, it's applying these rotational gains to your virtual movement yeah. and getting you to compensate for it. So you think you're walking in a straight line and you end up walking <laughs> in an actual circle. Um, that happens to me on a Friday night. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe right after this. Yeah, exactly. Um, so with this sort of technology, once you have a certain size of space, say, I think it's something like 40 feet in diameter, you can create a limitless virtual space wow. and automatically sort of plot the path of the user to not run into walls. So is there a speed, like is there a speed limit as well? Uh, I'm not sure about that. I don't have yeah. an answer for that one. Um, I, I know that it's been used in a few places. Uh, yeah. I, think, um, I think the Void, which is a, um, a virtual reality location-based center right. has, has used it before and given demos with this sort of technology. Interesting. I expect we'll see a lot more of it soon as kind of mobile six degree of freedom headsets become more popular. Right. Fascinating. So tell me about, more about some of the stuff that you guys have been working on. I mean, thanks for giving me the kind of breakdown there for the, uh, for the holodeck. Yeah. But sounds like we're not quite there just yet, unfortunately, but we're, yeah. it's good that we're making progress. So, but what else have you been doing? Like, what, what exciting stuff have you been working on? And yeah, so we uh, just released a, um, a fantasy VR experience called uh, The Way of Kings, uh, Escape the Shattered Plains, which okay. is a adaptation of uh, Brandon Sanderson, who's a sci uh, science fiction fantasy author's right. um, uh, book called The Way of Kings. Yeah. Um, I can show a little clip of that, uh, which is just a trailer for the experience. Okay. Awesome. Um, and uh, we can talk a little bit about it after. Yeah, okay.
So this was developed completely here in Halifax? Or? Yeah, um, well, our team is global. Um, yeah. the, the lion's share of, of the development happened here in Halifax. Awesome. Yeah. Fantastic, it looks great. Yeah, thanks. Um, so in, in the game, you play Kaladin, who's, um, who's a warrior who's been, uh, um, who's been uh, kind of uh, disgraced and, um, and uh, sold off to, to slavery. And um, within, within the experience, you're sort of um, find yourself at sort of the darkest point in your life and, and um, trapped at the bottom of this um, canyon. Um, and you're, you're, you've, you've, you've just been uh, sort of um, uh, sort of through the ringer. You've been strung up uh, in this, this storm, that, this giant storm that kind of crosses the world on a regular basis. Okay. And uh, as you've gone through this storm, instead of dying, uh, you find yourself kind of with these newfound powers, and you're sort of learning to understand them and, and make your way out of this um, this uh, big canyon. Uh, along the way, you come into some uh, there's combat with with some enemies and. Uh, giant monster called the Chasm Fiend you have to defeat. Okay. Yeah, it's a really exciting and um, kind of blockbuster-like experience. What, what platforms is it, is it available on? Yeah, so it, it's, uh, it's available on, on Steam and, and Oculus Store. Okay, yeah. excellent. Okay, well, hopefully some of our viewers check that out. I know I'm going to take a look later on. Cool. Yeah, I hope you, hope you get a chance to. Yeah, excellent. Uh, so so in, in doing that, we learned all sorts of, of new things about what works and what doesn't work right. in, in virtual reality. Um, one, of the, one of the things that the, the character learns to do is to change gravity, uh, the kind of the apparent direction of gravity. Okay. And, um, and gravity is really challenging to deal with in VR because if you apply an acceleration that, that the user themselves doesn't see or sense, then their inner ear, which has this, this little gravitational sensor, will disagree with what they're seeing, and you'll get sick. Interesting. Um, so you end up with this sort of design problem, which is how do, we, how do we give someone the experience of changing gravity and walking right. on the walls uh, without, making them, <laughs> without making them sick? And, um, and so we had to make all sorts of different um, uh, prototypes and iterations of how this effect could work, and it's, uh, super, super interesting to yeah. try all of them out, and then kind of like some of the <laughs> days you just end up motion sick for two or three hours uh, <laughs> testing it, and it was it was really a uh, really interesting experience. So when you're building this kind of content, are you using mostly your own developed technology, or are you using a combination of yours and yeah, other stuff that's on the market? Yeah, so the ecosystem is filled with all sorts of different tools. Um, a lot of the tooling comes from sort of this, the same sort of stuff that's used in, in 3D video games. Yeah. Um, specifically, we're using uh, the Unity game engine as sort of our uh, base tool, okay. um, and then we're using some of our home homegrown technology within. Yeah within the experiences as well. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. So, 
obviously we're not quite at the, I mean, that, that's great. What's the next leap forward in, in, in the VR space that you see coming? Yeah, like so, so the major things that need to happen, um, well, we need untethered headsets. So okay. uh, headsets that display high quality um, VR. Yeah. We call them, we usually call them uh, um, tethered or, um, or um, like high-end HMDs. Those mm. would be like the Vive and the Oculus. They have a cable that runs from them to the computer. Right. And that kind of limits you to five-ish five meters distance from your, from your computer. Um, that needs to be gotten rid of. There's a few different people working on that problem. Okay. Because uh, the ones you put your phone in, they're not, they're not there yet, right? Yeah, so the ones you put your phone in, they have, they're kind of like less powerful hardware, so you don't yeah. get as high fidelity in your experiences. Um, so there's two directions that's being, being approached from. One of them is how do we get the information from the computer to the headset without a cable? Right. Um, there's sort of these wireless, um, TPCast is one of the companies that's doing that. And then the other one is how do we get phone hardware to be good enough to show good experiences and right. also make it um, support motion tracking uh, other than just like the rotational tracking that you yeah. get now. That and that sense. they do with, with cameras that they place on the headsets and uh, they use the, what the camera sees to sort of determine where you are okay. in the room. And those are called six degree of freedom mobile headsets and, and uh, HTC is releasing the Vive Focus this year okay. um, that works under that principle. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's one of the first things that needs to happen. The next is our sort of uh, redirected walking algorithms need to become pervasive and available for everybody. Right. Um, we, need, we need better motion controllers for mobile VR headsets. Yeah. Uh, right now we're limited to three degrees of freedom on, on mobile VR. And so that's a big barrier to consumer adoption. Price is still a barrier that needs to come down, okay. and um, and then haptics. Uh, yeah, interesting. Well, sounds like uh, there's a lot to do still, but mm. companies like yours are obviously working hard away at it. And uh, you're not you're not the only one in Nova Scotia. I know we mentioned we were talking earlier before the show, and uh, yeah, there's, there's a whole bunch of companies in Nova Scotia that are in the VR space, and and we're just a small province. So if that's Nova Scotia. Yeah. Obviously, a lot of other companies out there doing. Yeah, it's happening everywhere. Um, yeah, there's there's been a lot of investment in VR over the last three to four years. Um, it's it's one of those. There's sort of a hype cycle with every yeah. new technology, Absolutely. and and that um, there's there's often early on a, a kind of hype and acceleration of that kind of investment, and then there's sort of a wait to see how those yeah. things do and then it kind of picks up again after this sort of yeah. like disillusionment phase <laughs> that people go through and I, I think that VR um, everyone was really excited about it in 2013 and 14 yeah. um, and it took a little bit longer to get going than, than people had hoped so there's sort of a disillusionment phase that happened yeah. over the last I don't know maybe last year or something um, but we're starting to see all the interest pick up again and with AR be getting more and more convincing all the time, 
they sort of feed off of each other. And there's yeah. got to be the business case as well, which helps fund the money and the, and yeah. the, and the flow of resources into the, yeah, exactly. into the research, yeah. research so right? So. The, more, the more customers we have, the more people buying VR content, yeah. the better that is for everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you coming and uh, talking to us today. It's, uh, it's been an education. It's uh, uh, always interesting to learn where these, you know, the roots of these technologies are coming from and, and how they're being developed and what they can do for us. And mm -hmm. no, I really, really appreciate it. And yeah. Thanks Cheers. so much for the beer and yeah. uh, the good conversation. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. And uh, again, live here at the Celtic Corner and look forward to seeing you next time.